This is Holistic Counseling, the podcast for mental health therapists who want to deepen their knowledge of holistic modalities and build their practice with confidence. I'm your host, Chris McDonald, licensed therapist. I am so glad you're here for the journey. Welcome to today's episode of the Holistic Counseling Podcast. I'm your host, Chris McDonald. Before I get to today's guest, I want to give a shout out to listener Lauren Lynn, who gave a fantastic review on Apple Podcasts. She writes, I absolutely love this podcast and these incredible episodes. Each episode is full of amazing guests, including the host, who give so much knowledge and tools that I can apply with my work with clients. Thank you, and I look forward to each new episode. Thank you, Lauren, for that wonderful review and for being a listener. And getting to today's episode, have you wondered about what the mental health benefits of yoga are? Today's guest is going to share these benefits with you. I came across Addie DeHilster's podcast called Move to Meditate, which I've been binge listening and it is so amazing. Addie is a mindfulness meditation teacher and certified yoga therapist. Her passion is teaching movement practices that unlock mindfulness skills help students gain traction in their meditation practice so they can be more present for their lives. Yin yoga is one of the main modalities she practices and teaches, and it's an excellent doorway into embodied meditative stillness. A fun fact about her is she loves being outside. She and her husband moved to Washington State about a year and a half ago, and it's a hiker's heaven. Welcome to the podcast, Addie. Oh, thank you so much, Chris. That was such a warm welcome. And uh, I'm really honored to be here and joining you on your podcast, which is amazing. Yeah. So can you tell my listeners more about yourself and your work? Yeah. um, Like you said, I'm a mindfulness meditation teacher and also a certified yoga therapist. And I'm just a like movement modality junkie. I love (laughs) movement (laughs) practices of all kinds. I'm like a big Qigong fan and somatics and Feldenkrais. And sometimes I, I do strength training or dance and hiking and So I basically love movement, but I also have this side of me that really loves stillness and I have a long time meditation practice. So my work has really become about that kind of interplay between movement and stillness and using the movement practices to unlock the mindfulness skills and techniques because it's not always easy to just like sit down and meditate. So I find that these practices can be a lot more powerful and effective when we kind of combine them together and use movement to highlight mindfulness skills that we can then apply in meditation and use meditation as a way to really get more in tune with what's going on. So then even our movement practices become richer and more interesting. So it all all kind of just becomes this this wonderful feedback loop. <laughs> and yeah, so that's, for sure. that's why I call my uh, business moved to meditate because it's really about both, you know, the movement and the quote formal meditation practices that I've learned. And I mainly teach online now, but I did used to own a community yoga studio back when I lived in LA before the pandemic. And, um, At the studio, we did a lot of therapeutic type yoga practices, more contemplative types of uh, movement practices. And I had a meditation circle there. So it was a little bit different than other neighborhood yoga studios. But I do teach online now. Yeah, the name of your podcast, I I just love because, and I think a lot of people don't understand that using movement before meditation is what can really help your meditation practice. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Be like the movement itself can be meditation, but sure. then also enables us to enjoy the stillness parts of meditation. So it's kind of a both. And yeah, thank you for that. It's moved to meditate is, is just sort of also like, to me, I want you to feel moved to meditate, <laughs> right? Like, exactly. it's more, so like super. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of a, a play on words that, you know, I want it to feel like enjoyable and accessible and like you feel moved to do it. How would you describe yin yoga? Because I know that's your favorite. It's one of my favorites. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's one of my favorite modalities because it really is like an embodied meditation. And when I discovered yin yoga years ago, it was like this missing link really lit up for me because I'd had a pretty active yoga practice and I'd had my mindfulness meditation, my insight meditation practice going and they kind of felt a little bit separate. And I, I certainly learned them from different teachers and in different centers and, and things like that. But like, I'm one person and I was like, how do these flow together for me? And they seem to kind of be pointing in a lot of the same directions, but they didn't really feel like they were talking to each other that much. And so yin yoga was, was kind of like this first place that I felt the both and, <laughs> if that makes sense. It was yeah. like an embodied meditation because the yin practices were yoga poses, but they're held for quite a long time and they're more still, they're more passive and supported by props. And they gave me the time to kind of be in that meditative space. So it, it really connected a lot of dots for me. And that's, you know, for me, why it became a favorite and a gateway that I've used to help others to kind of move towards meditation practices or to integrate their meditation and movement practices. And I know we were talking before I hit record about my experience with yin yoga has not been positive. <laughs> so if it's okay with you, I was just going to share that for yeah. this episode and we can dive in a little more with that. Um, so I've taken some yin yoga before and unexpectedly, like I had signed up for this one yoga teacher and I I wasn't actually sure what kind of yoga she did. I was like, okay, let me just try it. But let me tell you, so I thought I was going to die <laughs> because <laughs> I have chronic pain issues. I have spondylolisthesis in my low back and mm. uh, I have to be very careful with yoga. I can't do all kinds of yoga and I have to do a lot on modifying. And anyway, sometimes I stop during yoga classes and just do my own thing <laughs> because if I feel too much pain, but I didn't realize that she was going to hold all of these poses, even like warrior for me to hold that for like five minutes. I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to die. This is the longest class of my life. <laughs> That's uh -huh. all I kept thinking. Uh, but then I know you, when we were talking before I, I hit record, I know you mentioned that, that most people aren't trained properly with this. And then you said mentioned about props. So tell me more about that. Yeah. And I'm so happy you brought this up because I've heard it so many times and it's, it's, it's a shame that, you know, people are having these experiences with a practice that is meant to be yin-like. <laughs> so <laughs> like if we just start there, you know, yin versus yang, yin is the cool side, the shady side of the mountain. It's the moon. Yang is the sun and the the heat and the effort. And so if we're really practicing in a yin-like way, first of all, you know, it's slow and it's gentle 
and it's mindful. And we have to do that in a way that's supportive to our own individual bodies. Otherwise, it becomes a struggle and it becomes yang and it becomes effort, right? Yes. (laughs) And one of the main ways, one of the main keys to that is using yoga props. And that does not make it restorative yoga, which I think is sort of the the misnomer because props are such a built-in part of restorative yoga. But yeah, this myth has really gotten out there that props are not part of yin yoga, which isn't true. And we really need to support the body to hold postures in a sustainable way for the three to five to six minutes that we intend to hold them in a yin yoga class. Otherwise, we can't really make the pose into a meditative experience because we're just like fighting with ourselves and we're in pain and we're just struggling with the body. So the the props are really, really essential and everyone will use them a little bit differently. It's not that there's like one set way that we would use them, but that as you come into the pose, you're feeling into what you need and you're you're kind of assessing like the sensations that are showing up that day. And then you're adding a blanket or a pillow accordingly. That way you can really be in tune with what you're feeling. And then you can actually relax and then you can actually start to work with your attention and your awareness and have it become a meditation rather than like some kind of a form of stretch torture, (laughs) which is what you (laughs) described. Right. Right. Exactly. Which to me, speaking from the nervous system, that it probably just brought me in sympathetic activation. Big time. No, it's well-intentioned and there's value for sure of you know, how to become comfortable with discomfort, which we can talk about more, but that doesn't mean like 10 out of 10 on the intensity scale. It's not titrated, right? Like we need to actually work with the nervous system in a, in a more gentle way in order for that to be productive and not to just kick us up into sympathetic activation, like you said. <laughs> Yeah, and no, I appreciate uh, clarifying that difference because it, it just seemed like this is not relaxing <laughs> at all when I was doing it. Yeah, I would encourage anybody who's had an experience like that with a yin class or if you're going into a yin class and you're like, uh-oh, <laughs> then, you know, don't give up. If you feel like there is maybe something there for you, don't give up and, you know, find a teacher that is open to adapting the practice to individual bodies or has the education on, on how to do that or how to invite the students to do that for themselves. Right, because the point isn't to create a lot of pain, like you said, on that pain scale. You shouldn't be that high on a pain scale. No, you shouldn't really be that high on the sensation scale at all. Like if you want to take the sensations, you know, of stretch and kind of put them on an intensity scale, I would say in in yin yoga, we want to be like around a three or four or five, maybe not always like up at our seven, eight, nine, ten. because if we're intending to hold the pose for a length of time, like minutes at a time, that's not going to be very sustainable. One of the biggest sort of um, issues I think that we bring into the practice because like our culture is so young and we have so many we have so much conditioning that like we need to do more or we've got to like do it to the max in order to get the benefit or, you know, it's like that old no pain, no gain cliche. And it comes into yin yoga in this way oh, where, I'm sure. you know, it's just like we have to, this is a big part of what I do when I teach yin yoga is to kind of like flip the script on that and say like, well, can we do less? Can we slow down? What if it's a little more subtle? 
what is that like? It sounds like exploring maybe a little more too. Yeah. You got me on my soapbox already. I'm like, let's go. <laughs> We're starting off strong here <laughs> on the Holistic Counseling Podcast. Yeah, for sure. Well, I guess, how would you describe, I know you talk some about it, but how would you say that yin yoga is different from other types of yoga? Yeah. Well, most forms of yoga are active movement practices, right? So that's kind of the biggest piece. And I might start a yin class with a little bit of gentle movement, like, you know, a little bit of cat-cow, a few little, you know, twists or dynamic movements, like warm-ups, just to kind of prepare the body and the nervous system to hold the poses. But the yin poses tend to be three to five minutes long. They tend to be on the floor and they tend to be passive, or that's the idea, is that we can do them without muscular engagement. So that's another reason that we need to use the props because you can't always, you know, hold a butterfly shape or a forward fold without muscular engagement unless there's something there for your your bones to kind of rest into. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's what a yin practice looks like is these sort of passive supported poses and it's different from restorative yoga which can on the surface look quite similar because in restorative yoga, you're not really going for a stretch at all, but a really just a, just a kind of restful opening. And in yin, we do allow for a little bit of edge of sensation, again, on that more like three to four on the intensity scale. And we use that as a mindfulness tool, as a way of learning how to be with sensations. And the other difference, just as a slight you know, side note for those who are wondering between yin and restorative is that yin yoga has a basis in Chinese medicine and the meridian system and the yin yang theory that comes from Taoism. So that's not really part of restorative yoga. So it it has it has a few different traits to it. <laughs> yeah. So what are the mental health benefits of yin yoga? Yeah, that's such a good question. And I think there are quite a few. And you know, part of it is just that yin yoga is a mindfulness practice. It's an embodied mindfulness practice. And through a mindfulness practice, you know, we become more aware of our physical, mental, and emotional states, which of course helps to give us more choice in how we relate to all of those states as they fluctuate throughout the day. And yin yoga can help us to become more aware of our thoughts and how we're relating to sensations, whether they're comfortable or discomfort of a stretch. It can help us learn to kind of regulate our nervous system around that and to notice our habits. Like, do we tend to push into more intensity or do we tend to hold back from intensity? <laughs> you know, so it relates a lot to stress resilience and how we can kind of expand that capacity to, to be with whatever is coming up. Again, that's not the same as just like throwing ourselves at the deep end, <laughs> right? but you know, kind of the way some people, um, these days, one of the trends is taking cold showers, you know, have you heard about this? Where no, I haven't. <laughs> ice baths and cold showers and people are using them as a way to like stimulate the vagus nerve or to oh, okay. expand, like to kind of shock their system into being able to with, with, withstand more like stressors in a regulated way. The stress tolerance and mental health therapists speak. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so we could do that with sensation in a yin pose. Ah, like if okay. It doesn't have to be like cold water pouring down you. <laughs> 
<laughs> right? Because um, the cold shower thing does not sound too good. That doesn't sound to me. good to me. My brother is really into them. He was talking about it over Thanksgiving and he really likes it. But I was like, you know, well, I can do that in a yin pose. Like I could come into exactly. a forward fold and sort of feel like, oh, there's that little bit of stretch sensation. And there's like my kind of resistance to it. And can I look at this? Like, should I back off a little bit today? Or could I sit and take a few breaths with this and let my resistance kind of melt? And I can start to expand that capacity for things that my system initially might label as a stressor, but that are really just sensation. That's one example. (laughs) Yeah, of course. I also find, you know, just the basic practice of yin yoga helps to get us out of our heads you know, helps to get us into the body because we are feeling sensation. We are feeling a sense of contact with the floor or my forehead resting on a bolster, or I'm feeling my breath flowing in and out of the body. I'm feeling perhaps that stretch sensation and that can help to interrupt the kind of dominance of thinking patterns and the habits of <laughs> overthinking. Absolutely. And it can downregulate the nervous system. And there is some research about, you know, how long, gentle, long supported stretches can affect certain receptors in our fascia called Ruffini receptors, and that those send a signal of relaxation to the brain. And so it's it's physiological as well as psychological. And it's, it's really like a, a beautiful bottom-up practice for regulating the nervous system and then giving us that space to kind of develop a new perspective on how we're relating to things and whatever might be coming up. Yeah, because I know most clients I see live from the neck up. (laughs) They're not in their bodies. So as I think a lot of the population, right, if they're not doing these practices. So so getting people into the body is more integrative and holistic and being able to process emotion. And and I know you mentioned too, just noticing sensation and and I think you said pushing the edge of it too, which makes me think about the window of tolerance. Exactly. Yeah. So we work at the edge of that. Can you talk more about that? Yeah. I love that image of the window because it's, it's like the bandwidth we have for handling things, right? Yes. (laughs) And when we've been under a lot of stress or trauma for a long time, the window's smaller. And so we're more reactive to smaller things. And as we practice or we work in therapy to expand that window of tolerance, we we can handle more. We have more capacity. We have more space internally. And the little things maybe don't bother us as much or we have more capacity to take on new challenges or take a few risks or try new things, right? So we're, we're moving out of that kind of very narrow state of comfort and opening up possibilities for ourselves, which is beautiful. And so our yoga practice can absolutely be a safe space in which to explore that because it's easier to sort of do that on your yoga mat, I think, than it is to do that when you're in a staff meeting or <laughs> when yes. you're you know, having a tense conversation with your teenager in the car on the way home from school. I don't have kids, but you know, I can imagine. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
you know, it's so it's a place where we can practice and build those kinds of skills and set ourselves up for being able to roll with things in our real life a little bit better, a little bit more skillfully. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. No, I think that I talk to clients about that as well. I think that's a really important tool to understand that window of tolerance and and then we have the, if we go outside of it, the top part of the window, we could become activated with anxiety. And then the lower end is is more of the depressive or shutdown of the nervous system. But I think yoga really can be such a tool for helping us regulate and, and opening the window, which I love. Opening the window. Yeah, ah, it's huge <laughs> and it's beautiful. And I think yoga can also just help us to start to recognize the cues that the body is giving us for when we are moving kind of to the edge of our window. And so we start to be able to name the sensations and the feelings and notice the patterns. And that's, that's what I mean when I'm talking about mindfulness skills, right? (laughs) It's not just relaxation practice. It's like teaching us things about how we operate that we can use and I think that the yin practice can be a great laboratory for that because it gives us a simple task, you know, be in this pose for five minutes. <laughs> but so much can come up when it's like, well, I'm feeling oh, yes. this. What does that mean? What should I do? And then I'm having this reaction. And now I'm seeing this thought pattern come up. And I'm seeing how that sort of habit of mind that maybe affects me over here, you know, in my regular life is showing up here on my yoga mat. And that's really interesting. So I think it, it just gives us a, a place that we can start to observe, but we can also start to experiment and try some new things and relate to those, those things differently. Because I think a, a lot of clients I see, and I'm sure this is true for other therapists listening, that they're afraid of that physical sensation sometimes. Mm, mm-hmm. And I think that getting more comfortable with that and learning to accept it, just like we got to learn to accept our emotions as part of, you know, who we are as human beings. It's okay. We have these emotions. And, and I think that lessens it somehow too, once we can just accept it and just be with it. Yeah, absolutely. And when you say that they're afraid of that sensation, do you mean like a, a pain sensation or yeah. like the, the not in your stomach of anxiety kind of sensation or? Oh yeah. I think that a lot are just, <laughs> yeah, all of them, I think just related to that and, and try to avoid, right. That becomes an automatic response to avoid, okay, that, oh, they might know that that triggers anxiety. I feel that not in my stomach. Okay. I just got to push that away. Yeah. Well, I think one of the things that's really been useful for me is to think about the difference between stress reduction and stress resilience, because really, you know, stress is part of life and we can't control all the things outside of us that are going to happen or things that are going to go on and all of the conditions that we're operating within. And we can't even really control the physiological responses (laughs) that our body might have to those things, Mm. right? And it has some much to do with how we're wired. And I think if we start to understand that the body and the nervous system are really just trying to protect us and that that physiological stress response is the body like gearing up to do what it needs to do to help you survive. So it's helpful. And if we can start to see it differently and channel that energy, that activation energy to something 
less habitual, <laughs> you know? So we, if we can kind of like feel, oh, something's getting kicked up in my system and maybe have a, a small pause to look at that and go, huh, well, is this truly a threat at the moment or is my mind starting to interpret this in the way that it always does <laughs> because yes. it's feeling this sensation and it's applying kind of a, a habitual label to it. So we can start to see through some of those those things and some of the maybe cognitive distortions that we have towards, you know, assuming the worst or overcatastrophizing. Yeah. Totally catastrophizing. And we can start to unwind that a little bit. And that can really make us more resilient. That's that's really where we start to expand that window of tolerance, right? And that ability to like just have a different perspective that doesn't yes. assume it knows what's going to happen, but that can be responsive as opposed to having the same reaction over and over again. Yeah, because I think just having that psychoeducation about the nervous system for clients can be so helpful to understand it more and where that's coming from. And it just made me think of something else as you're talking that just like you said, take a pause. And I think just getting in that curious place, just noticing what's there. That's part of mindfulness too, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Mindfulness is a, you know, observing curious state of awareness, right? It's bringing that curiosity in a non-judgmental way to all of our experience, whatever it might be. And so it can notice the beautiful moments and it can notice those moments of discomfort, but without jumping into an interpretation about it can take them and just become curious, like, huh, what's going on right now? You know, rather than the, like you mentioned, catastrophizing, like feeling, if I feel a sensation in my shoulder, I could, like, if I'm, if I'm really being mindful, just go, oh, a sensation. Hmm. I kind of relax around it and kind of let it play out and feel what's going on there. Maybe there will be an action that I need to take from that. Maybe not. Or if I go into my more habitual catastrophizing mode, I might feel that sensation in my shoulder and go, oh, uh-oh, there's pain. What did I do? Did I work out too much yesterday? Or, oh, was it that I'm typing too much? I'm sitting at the computer too much. Like, oh, should I go to the doctor? Or what if I went to physical Are you therapy? in my head, Addie? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, oh gosh, what if I have to have surgery? What if my insurance doesn't cover it? Oh my gosh. You know, and the <laughs> anxiety train is what I call that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Exactly. Exactly. So it's like, th that's just an example of the kinds of thought patterns that we can start to recognize just from the skill of being able to mindfully notice its sensation without jumping 12 miles down the road, without labeling it automatically as pain, but just going, huh, what would be the kind response to this sensation at this moment? Yeah, I like that. <laughs> but I think, you know, it's powerful because I had a client recently that learned to just look at the, her thoughts as just thoughts. And yeah. it sounds so simple, but it's just kind of taking the emotional edge off of that. And it's just a thought. Let me just notice it like with meditation or mindfulness. See as a cloud floating by, letting it go. And you don't have to believe your thoughts. That's <laughs> the beauty of it. It doesn't exactly. mean it's reality. Yeah, it that's, doesn't, that's huge. And at the same time, our mind is it's just like a meaning-making machine. And it's just trying to predict the future, right? To protect us, yes. you know? It's trying to figure this out, but it's um, the world is a little too complex for that. So the resilience comes from just learning to 
to trust that we can respond in the moment without having to anticipate everything. That's powerful right there, isn't it? Mm. It is for me. Yes. Yeah. And I think noticing too that, and I talk to clients about progress, is noticing that window of tolerance is, are you becoming less reactive? So when things that normally would have pushed you over the edge of the window, are you noticing that you're able to respond in a calmer way? I think just reminding clients of that too is important. I think being able to recognize that is is huge. And I would love, you know, for people to sort of apply that measure of progress to yoga as well, instead of looking at yoga and saying, well, am I more flexible (laughs) as the measure of progress? You know, look at it and and say like internally, am I more flexible in my responses? Am I less reactive? Right. So I think that yin really invites us to, to experience yoga and mindfulness on that level and to sort of, yes, we still will get all the physical benefits, but there's so much more. There's so much more when we slow down and we we have the space and time in a practice like yin yoga to actually reflect and to to really observe, to really notice. Because we're not just moving from pose to pose to pose to pose. Yes. There's time, mm-hmm. there's, there's space. <laughs> and slowness creates awareness. It does. And slowness is challenging. I mean, this is one of the great things about yin yoga, but that makes it challenging because we are living sped up lives. And so sometimes to try to meditate or to try to do a practice like yin that's fairly still, that can be kind of confronting. (laughs) Oh, for sure. That can be really kind of challenging too. So that's, again, where we we need these mindfulness skills to learn how to be with that. So it's not just coming into a yin pose or a meditation and just like letting the mind run wild or just suddenly turning the spotlight on all of the intensity inside, but, but that there's technique, there's, you know, there's ways of staying present in the moment. And that's ultimately the difference between really getting lost in all of our stuff while we're meditating or in a yin pose and, and actually using it to observe in a way that helps us grow. Yeah, exactly. So being present to observe and, and not getting caught up in stories. Yeah, exactly. Or, or catastrophizing. <laughs> Making new stories. <laughs> new stories. Right? Exactly. But I think once you get in the body, like I know you mentioned the bottom up processing too. I mean, that's a lot of therapists are really interested in that, especially mm-hmm. listeners that are wanting to use more yoga in session. I mean, that is getting more into the deeper parts of the brain and being able to allow them to physically work through some sensations or traumas that are in the body. And then you can use more of the cognitive strategies after because the front prefrontal cortex of our brain goes offline when we're in activation or if we're in shutdown mode. Exactly. It's not available when we're in that, that like outside of our window of tolerance. We need to get back in the window to be in the healing zone, right? Yes. Otherwise, like we can, we can't talk ourselves out of of that, that state of being dysregulated. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So these, like these embodiment tools are huge and the good thing is they're simple. So we can learn them and teach them to those around us so that they can be used when they're needed. And the more we use them, the more skillful they get. What's a favorite mindful movement activity? Do you like or pose, whatever you want to call it? 
Yeah, well, we've talked a lot about, you know, the stillness of yin poses, but I also do love more active movements. And particularly if I'm feeling like my nervous system is kind of revved up, I might just like stand up and brush off, like take my hands from the top of my head and and, and brush my fingers down the body, like down the arms, down the torso, down the legs, like I'm sweeping off whatever irritation or agitations there. And then I can shake. So I'll stand and I'll just like shake my limbs and bounce my legs. And some of these are things that are done in Qigong as well, but like kind of energy clearing practices. They are really helpful for letting go of excess charge in the nervous system so that then we can maybe like see a little more clearly or take a deeper breath or have a pause or do a meditation. Yeah. To me, that's like the reset button. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I do it multiple times a day. It's, yeah. it's mm-hmm. highly needed. <laughs> exactly. Because the world is very activating. The world is very activating. You know, whether it's just like someone in the parking lot cut you off or you read the news or something, you know, more significant personally happened. It's just like we need to reset so many times. Otherwise, we just carry around a lot of like extra charge and we're set up to be reactive. So what's a takeaway you could share today that could help listeners that might be just starting their holistic journey? Oh, I love that. And I just acknowledge anybody who's starting that journey and hope that they're led by their curiosity and by kindness and to know that little things count, like those little moments, those little movement breaks, those little pauses, they really add up. So don't feel like you have to do an hour a day for it to matter. It's going to make a difference little by little. And if you start small, you have a better chance of being consistent because it's better to do five minutes a day and do it more consistently than to do an hour, but only do it once a month. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Makes sense. So what's the best way for listeners to find you and learn more about you? Well, um, you can go to my website, which is movedtomeditate.yoga, which is M-O-V-E-D, like movedtomeditate.yoga. And if you want to try out some practices with me, I have a video class library and there's a a way you can sign up for a free library card, as I call it. I have a free tier where there's five different classes on a rotation every month that are available to practice for free. So you just have to sign up for the library card to check those out. And I also have yin yoga teacher trainings that will be coming up in the spring and mindful movement teacher training in the fall. And I have my podcast. So that's Chris right. is going to be a yes. guest soon. <laughs> I can't wait. Yeah, <laughs> I'm excited too. And just excited yeah. to keep the connection going. So anything can be found pretty much on my website. That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Addie. My pleasure. Thank you again for having me and for bringing these conversations forward. Yeah. And a big thanks to my listeners for being here and supporting the show. Have you gotten my free nine-part email course, Becoming a Holistic Counselor? Go to holisticcounselingpodcast.com today and sign up. And again, this is Chris McDonald sending each one of you much light and love. Till next time, take care. Thank you for listening and supporting the Holistic Counseling Podcast. Are you ready to take the next step to create a holistic practice? I invite you to sign up for my free nine-part email course, Becoming a Holistic Counselor. In this course, you'll explore different holistic strategies, how to develop your skills as a holistic counselor, 
and how to manifest the holistic practice of your dreams through journaling. Go to www.holisticcounselingpodcast.com. Scroll down and enter your name and email address today.